0: Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to the next episode of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. Today we have Anne Albee. Anne is a speech pathologist in IBCLC. She is a co-owner of Lactation Care Connections, and she is located in the western suburbs. Hello, Anne. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and your children?
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. So again, my name is Ann Elby. I am a speech pathologist. Um, I work primarily in the neonatal intensive care unit in a level three NICU. And then um, as Lisa said, I'm also a co-owner of Lactation Care Connections, which is a private lactation practice. Um, I have two children. Emmett is my firstborn. He is going to be nine next month. And my secondborn is Finley, a little girl who will be six in August. Oh, so
0: you, you're still in the throes of elementary school, huh?
1: Yes, we are. We're doing a lap of kindergarten with my little one because she's a, a very late birthday. So we had the challenges of uh, navigating a almost uh, cutoff birthday. Oh,
0: no. Well, I hope that worked out OK for you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, if you had
0: to, OK. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be?
1: Um, You know, I would say as a type A personality, um. Parenting has its challenges at times because you cannot do anything according to plan when you're a parent. There's always got to be a plan B going on. Um, so I would say I go in with a plan as a parent, but I do my best to be flexible and kind of roll with the punches um, and give my kids a little bit of um, space to grow and learn. I'm definitely not a helicopter parent, um, but you know I think I my type A does try to bring some structure to their lives. That
0: sounds good. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of?
1: Technically, I believe I am a late millennial, although I don't think that matches my personality very well. Um, But I think technically I'm a millennial.
0: (laughs) So which generation do you identify with then?
1: I'm like an old soul. I, I, I probably i am just a little less tech savvy than I should be. I'm like a little like more gritty than probably some of my millennial counterparts are. Um, I guess that's maybe the late part of the millennial stage.
0: Yeah. Maybe you're just on the cusp or something like that. Very much so. Okay. Uh, how would you describe how you were parented?
1: So um, I had a dad that worked very long hours building his own business. Um, And I had a mom that was mostly home with me and I was very, very close to her. So, um, you know, I think I never really needed a whole lot of um, boundaries. I kind of built them in for myself, but I had a lot of respect for my parents and really tried to stay out of trouble. Um, I was like kind of the good girl. I, I, I think my parents had a pretty easy time parenting me, to be perfectly honest. I think they would agree with that too.
0: That's awesome. For those who may not understand, how do you help new families in both roles? Because you actually have a dual role, which are obviously complementary towards each other. But how how does that work in your day-to-day life? How do you help people?
1: Yeah. So um, I'll kind of explain the two roles separately um, because they are quite different. Um, So in my role as a speech pathologist in the hospital setting, I'm dealing with um, parents, um, new parents, that are finding themselves in a position that they didn't really expect to be in. So I very much have that healthcare worker mindset where I, I know what needs to be done in order to get the baby safely eating and get them home with their families. But at the same time, I also have to really be a support person for for these new parents because this is a challenging situation to find yourself in as a parent to be in the the neonatal intensive care unit. you know, you're really suffering the loss of the new parenthood experience that you thought you were going to have. Um, so not only do I have to be medically minded, but I also really have to be um, empathetic and supportive and encouraging to these parents that, you know are are struggling. They really are struggling. So um, in that role, I think I prepared myself for my other role um, as being a lactation consultant. So I do practice as a lactation consultant in the NICU as well, which has been such a gift to be able to roll in the feeding therapist aspect with lactation. Um, I feel like I am able to better serve these parents because of my knowledge now as a lactation consultant, and I can really further promote breastfeeding in the NICU, which is just so important um, for not only the baby, but also the parents. I mean, it's really a bonding thing that we can't take for granted. Um, So in my role as a lactation consultant in a private practice, um, I have the ability to Practice a little bit more in a silo, um, which can be for better or worse. I love the collaborative experience in the NICU. Um, Sometimes that can be hard in a private practice where you want to have the input of a pediatrician. You want to have the connection with an obstetrician. They just might not be right there at your disposal. Um, So, you know, it's a lot of collaboration with at least the parents. Um, The private practice lactation side of things also allows you to really um, spend a lot of time connecting with these parents and finding out what their goals are. Um, in the NICU, sometimes parents' goals are um, appreciated but not always fully respected and, and sometimes it's just because it can't happen. Um, in the private practice world, I have a, a lot more ability to do that, which is is really special.
0: I have a couple of questions about settings for people that don't understand. Can you explain the types of babies you would see in a level three NICU? And then when you are in your private practice, are you seeing people in their homes or in an office?
1: Yeah. So, um, in a level three NICU, we kind of get a little bit of everything. So, um, I have been there 13 years now and I have seen a little bit of everything. So, um, my primary, uh, patient population is premature infants. So these are babies that are born early learning how to eat that did not expect to have to start doing that just yet. They thought they were going to still be safe in mom's womb and have all their nutrition handled for them. They find themselves out there in this bright, noisy world and need a lot of support to learn how to eat um, earlier than expected and under conditions that they were not expected to eat under. So um, premature babies are definitely my kind of my biggest population. But I also work with babies with cleft lips and palate. Um, I work with babies that have neurological issues, like maybe they have a stroke when they're born or they have a bleed in their brain. Um, we work with babies that have chromosomal abnormalities. Um, I've had a lot of babies over the years that have Down syndrome, um, a variety of like lesser known syndromes. Um, but I would say the bulk of the babies that we work with really in the NICU are are just kind of your feeder grower preemies that need the support of a specialist to learn how to do that. Um, And then, you know, in the private practice lactation world, I don't tend to see very many of those complex kiddos because unfortunately the NICU does not always set up uh, parents for success with direct breastfeeding with these more complicated babies or, or even just with our preemies that we know are going to get bottles um, in the NICU. Um, so I don't tend to see as many of those complex kids in private practice. Instead, what we're seeing are either full-term or uh, late preterm babies that the parents are very uh, committed to, to doing direct breastfeeding or pumping and, and bottle feeding.
0: Okay. Um, what is the your favorite thing about the work you do? Let's say for this instance as the speech pathologist in the level 3 nicu.
1: Yeah, so um some speech pathologists really love those complex cases where they really have to do a lot of problem solving. That is not me. I mean, I, I'm happy to help those kids, but where I really kind of shine and, and really my passion exists is, um, working with late preterm babies and working with the families. Um, it's really, really rewarding to be able to see the way that these babies, um, develop their skills and the way that you can really help the parents learn, appreciate, and embody all the things that you're teaching them about feeding their babies. So proper positioning, using the right nipples, that education piece is like so rewarding for me. I really, really enjoy that. Um, And I would say like in the lactation side of things, probably my favorite part is just being able to get that baby latched, maybe for the first time without pain, or the first time that the baby transfers, even a little bit, and just seeing that overwhelming joy on mom and and dad's faces, like, oh my gosh, it's happening. We didn't know if it was ever going to happen, but here it is. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's pretty awesome. I always feel like I leave a home visit um, on such a high after a lactation visit, because you feel like you can make such a difference in sixty or ninety minutes. It's not really that way in the NICU most times. So to be able to just have like that brief period of time with those families where you feel like you can really help them um, tremendously is just like such a such a high. creates such I a feel high. the
0: same way. There's times I feel like I'm literally skipping out the door, or yes. there's times that I walk away feeling like, oh god, I just don't think I helped them very much. And then they, you know, will email me or something and say you know, you just made me realize that I just like being a mom or just something that really didn't even have to do with feeding. And, and then I realized like, oh no, I'm actually pretty
1: good at this. This is really good. Absolutely. I think as lactation consultants, we often find ourselves with like a little bit of imposter syndrome where we're like, everybody knows the stuff that I'm teaching them. Am I just teaching them common sense things? And then you realize, oh no, this is not common sense for most people. We have a, a very niche, uh, knowledge base that most people don't have, and and so you're right. We can really provide them with a, tr- a tremendous service in a short period of time.
0: Did you work with a doula or a lactation consultant, either prenatally or postpartum, yourself?
1: So I worked with several lactation consultants uh, postpartum, both with my son and my daughter. My son was actually a 34 week uh, preterm baby. <laughs> of course, uh- right. <laughs> Of course, in my <laughs> very own NICU that I work in. Oh my gosh. Um, so we had lots of lactation support there. And really, he was what pushed me um, to become a lactation consultant. We had tongue ties. We had poor milk transfer. We had the whole thing. So I had the privilege of working with several lactation consultants at the hospital where I worked and then one um, in outpatient as well. And with my daughter, I also worked with several lactation consultants Um So I've had all kinds of, all kinds of opportunity to, to network in the field personally, as well as professionally.
0: And also have the experience of the hospital versus in-home visits too, which is not everybody gets that experience. Like, you know, they've obviously mostly delivered in a hospital, but it isn't quite the same as like a, a complicated case in the
1: hospital versus at home. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right about that.
0: Did you always want to be a parent?
1: I did. I did. And um, I used to think I wanted three children until I had two. And then I was sure that I was best at having two.
0: Yeah. The idea of being outnumbered sometimes doesn't seem like a good idea.
1: Totally. We're still doing man-to-man defense in my house, which is a real blessing for us. <laughs> <laughs> at what age do you
0: think that you really start parenting your child?
1: Oh, wow. um, You know, I I would say... 18 months is when I really started to feel like we had some kind of reciprocal relationship where there there were rules and boundaries, and we would enforce them when we needed to. Up until that point, I felt like we were just mostly trying to keep them alive and love them. And um, that was the goal. I felt like 18 months is when we really started to feel like we had a parenting responsibility. (laughs) Right.
0: Like, be nice to your friends, share your toys those
1: types we of things. We don't bite, you know, all those <laughs> kinds of things.
0: <laughs> your friends are not food.
1: Correct. Do you have to parent each of your children differently? Oh, absolutely. Um, my son is um, a very uh, deeply feeling kind of kid where lots of big emotions, whether they are happy or not. Um, he, he needs very different parenting than my extremely happy-go-lucky daughter, who is kind of an emotionally more easy kid than my son. Did the pandemic change anything about how you had to parent? Um, I would say it probably changed it for my husband more than me. So because I work in the hospital, my life was different, but the same in the sense that I left for work every day, And my husband was left to be an attorney and a first grade teacher, Wow! which was, I mean, I I always have loved my husband. I loved him in a very different, more appreciative way during the pandemic because he took on a lot. You know, we talk about healthcare heroes during the pandemic. I think the parents that were home with their kids were really the heroes because that was just incredibly difficult. So I don't know if... um, I had to parent differently, but my husband definitely did because he had to take on a role as a parent and then as an educator, essentially. So he definitely experienced that.
0: And basically also while having a preschooler running around.
1: Yes, we were very lucky that her daycare opened back up very early. So his time with both of them, thankfully, was pretty short-lived and he could focus on Emmett a little bit more. Um, But yes, for a point in time, he certainly had it all happening at once.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting how early the daycares opened As opposed to like the regular schools and that's a whole nother podcast, but it really did make a very big difference for a lot of people. What stage your child was at, as opposed to how much help you had or did not have, what type of school they went to, all of that. It really made a big difference. Okay. So here is the lightning round of standing questions. Um, If the pacifier falls on the floor at your house, do you pick it up and wipe it off? Do you wash
1: it off or do you throw it away? oh, I'm for sure washing it with soap and water.
0: (laughs) Okay. What is your most embarrassing parenting moment?
1: Oh, you know, my son, God love him. Such a curious kid. Um, But that leads to a lot of questions, sometimes at a volume that is less than ideal. Um, So, you know, he, he will see people that like look different, act different than him. And he has, so many questions and he thinks I have all the answers because I work in a hospital, which I do not. Um, and so I think those poorly timed questions at a higher volume than I would like are probably my repeated embarrassing moments with him.
0: (laughs) Can you give us an example?
1: Oh gosh. You know, he's, he's very intrigued by, um, people that like have, um, that are like shorter than him he's very tall so he's like and even it might not be any kind of anomaly by any means but just people that are petite and he's like why are they so short you know and he says it so (laughs) loud you're like oh my gosh I'll talk to you about this when we get to the car
0: (laughs) I can just imagine the person looks over like what me are you talking about me (laughs) I know or the child or whoever it is exactly if you had friendships when your children were babies, how important are those to you now and do you still keep in touch?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um I'm very lucky that really all of my close friends all have children. Um but I would say I have one friend in particular who is like my best friend from college. We just shared so many texts and phone calls and we still do um about the trials and tribulations of parenting. Um you know, sometimes those were in the middle of the night when we had both had babies that were up eating um you know sometimes that's now when we're running between kid activities and feel like our life is no longer our own um those friendships have have certainly lasted and i think parenting really just brought us that much closer
0: so were these people that you were already friends with and then you all had your children at the same time okay did you yeah. make any new friends as a new parent that like did you have room where you needed to do that that with either of your children you know like your mom dating basically like the only thing you have in common is that your parents but you become friends
1: and then realize oh we actually would have been friends anyway you know I have found that to be more challenging than I ever thought it would be we have certainly had the opportunity to meet some great um parents of Emmett and Finley's friends um which has been such a gift um But I have found that harder to do. And I think a lot of that is just having the time and space for making new friends, right? So between work and parenting, it's like, what time is left for you? I guess I have uh, really tried to put a lot of time into maintaining the friendships that I already had established. And I probably haven't done the best job of, uh, growing new friendships quite as much as I would like to, but we got lots more years of kids and friends that, uh, you know, hopefully will continue to grow that.
0: Oh yeah. Then you have new schools and sports and all the ways that you meet all the other people.
1: Yes. Yes. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? You know, I think as parents are starting to have families a little bit later in life, um, I'm seeing a lot of, parents, I would say more so in private practice than in the NICU, um, that are really just thrown for a loop when they have their kids and realize just how much their lives have changed. Um, and I think kind of the the trend is how can we fit our kids into the life that we have, which is tough. And I think is a uh, a lot of times ends up with some Disappointment or frustration, um, as a result of of kind of trying to fit the baby in, um, when sometimes they just can't. Sometimes they just can't.
0: That's a really I haven't thought about that that way, but it is really true. I mean, you know, as much as we can, we do try to retain our identity, you know, and what we were like or what we are like, but it does become very different because you want to parenting the child that you have. So if you are an introvert and your child's an extrovert, then that's going to be a problem, right? As opposed to like, if your child's an extrovert and you're an introvert and they need people, 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 and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't really like people, people, people. And then you have to figure out how to balance all of that. And then whether or not that fits into what you already have established, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just, it creates some, um, I think you brought up a good point about identity, like some identity crises for parents that they're like, who am I? This is not the life that I used to live. And, um, and that's hard. That's a hard thing to, to adjust to new parenting is hard no matter what, but if you're extremely surprised by the circumstances, it's that much harder.
0: For sure. For sure. And I feel like if you are the first one of your friends group, It's really hard too, because then you're like really kind of out in no man's land. But the reward of that, I guess, is that in the flip side is at some point you kind of become the expert a little bit, right? Like you kind of know some things so you can help your friends. But having been the person that was like out there on their own first, I think is just extremely challenging. And it just depends too on like your personality, whether or not, I mean, some people, they never really wanted to be a parent and then they're like, oh, okay, well fine. I'll do this. And now it's like, oh my gosh, this is all encompassing. Yes. It's very hard for me not to just be me too. Yes. Which you yes. can, but it takes yep. a while. It really it does definitely take a does.
1: while. Yep. You got to find your footing a little bit. You're going to make mistakes. Just do your best.
0: Well, and it's really hard too, because I feel like one of the, you know, with the whole question with when do you think you start parenting kind of part of that is like well when do you really see your child's personality and everybody I think is a little bit different and like when do you actually kind of really realize oh this is what they want or this is what they need you know as opposed to I think I know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. I think they're happy they seem okay they're not melting down today yep yep
1: it's a good day if nobody's crying
0: (laughs) including you (laughs) correct <laughs> if there's no tears from the children or the adults it's been correct. a good day correct uh what has your child or your children taught you most about being a parent
1: oh that's a good question um you know i think i would say just don't sweat the small stuff i i've, I've certainly been guilty of sweating the small stuff in my life and i think kids just give you a different perspective they um are so Innocent and unencumbered by life's challenges. And I think they've really helped me to just kind of unload a little bit and value and savor the the tiny moments, whatever they might be. And um, uh, they kind of teach you to be a kid again in a lot of ways and to look at things just through a different lens. I we just got back from Disney World, which was awesome. And I, I gotta say, like I've been to Disney many, many times. But seeing it through my eight and five-year-old's eyes was uh, just incredible and made for an even more enjoyable experience than I've ever had at Disney before. And so I just think being able to look through the the lens of a child um, helps you be a better parent and a just a better human, <laughs> a just more joyful human.
0: Had you been to Disney with your children before or this was the first time with your children?
1: Yeah, we had been before, but um, they were younger. And so this was like the best age that I could imagine because they really, they were able to hang, which was awesome. We weren't running back for naps or anything. It's a lot Uh, of walking. So it's like
0: physically very challenging.
1: They crushed it 36 miles in five days we did. I mean, they crushed it. Um, So yeah, so that was really special um, for them just to be able to hang and do all the things and enjoy it. And now I look forward to them being able to remember the trip because the previous trips, I think they only really remembered through photographs because they would talk about the photos they had seen, but not necessarily the experiences quite as authentically. So I'm hoping that this time around some really special memories were made. Were they both fans of the roller coasters or were they too little still? Or My son did them all. He is a little adrenaline junkie, I've learned. So he did them all. <laughs> You're he still learning. all, <laughs> Still learning every minute of every day. Um, He loved it all. My daughter was pretty bold for a five-year-old. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. We definitely played dumb a little bit with her. Like, oh, we don't know how this ride will be. Let's just give it a try. Sometimes that worked out. Other times it ended in tears. Um, but all in all, there were like only a small handful of rides that I think she would have preferred not to have gone on.
0: <laughs> That's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, they're good. Is she
0: pretty tall then too? Because she was big enough to actually fit. I, I always think that the height thing is so interesting. I mean, I know like from an, you know, an engineering point of view why you need to have that. But that has nothing to do with the emotional
1: state that that child would be at, you know, in different ages, depending on how big they are. Oh, you're so right. And people, I think, need to know their kids before they take a trip like this, because I saw lots of kids that were very unhappy, but were definitely tall enough to ride the ride. So that's a great point. Um, She is quite tall. There was only one ride that she wasn't able to, to, to do.
0: Okay. So our final question, what is your
1: biggest parenting advice to share with new parents? I share this with everybody because it got me through some hard days. Um, I tell everybody this too shall pass because I think there are moments as parents where you say, I cannot do this for one more day, whether it's the sleep deprivation, you know, getting up every two hours with your baby or it's potty training. Oh boy, that's just a whole nother ball of wax. Um, But I want parents to remember that This is not every day for the rest of your lives. This is a single moment in time. It will get better. You will get new challenges presented to you, um, but this too shall pass. The hard days will not be there forever.
0: I completely agree with that. It definitely has different challenges as they age, um, but I think a lot of that plays more in the emotional realm than the physical realm. The bigger they get, the more emotional... More emotionally exhausted you are as opposed to physically exhausted because you're not running around after them.
1: Great point. Yes, it really does go from physical to emotional exhaustion as they age.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And having an 11-year-old, I feel like, you know, we're we're embarking on middle school in the fall. And so that's got its, you know, its own... He's just moody. I mean, this is just how it's going to go. Like there are going to be emotions and moods and they're going to come and go with or without the permission of the people around him. Sometimes, you know, with friends and family. I mean, he's, he's just a kid. He's just going through all the things. Uh, But I do see that like the things that I thought were challenging in elementary school, I'm going to be scoffing at compared to Middle school, especially when we finally give him access to a phone, which we have not done yet, like the last people in the world. But oh, good
1: for you, holding out. I love it.
0: We're just trying to give him this one last summer and ourselves, too, of just, you know, just rolling with it before there's all the pressure of what you are and are not doing. Like he sounds like he's having a pretty good summer right now and he's not feeling like he's missing out on anything. He misses his friends and we can certainly facilitate him seeing them. But it's also like he's not. You know, missing out on whatever he
1: sees online. But yes, oh, I love that. Yeah, I I love that because you're right. I think kids grow up way too fast nowadays. Yeah,
0: and you know, he's learning big things like staying home by himself now, riding his bike by himself to camp. Like there are big challenges that I just need him to be focused on. <laughs> Instead of his phone. And as we all know, we all get ourselves, we all get lost in our phones and I just need him to master these things before I feel like I can leave you home or leave you to your devices to get to somewhere. And now we have to negotiate the idea that like, you're just spending time kind of wasting time, you know? Yep. 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 Okay. Well, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Anne, for joining us for episode four of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. We are recording on June 19th. I forgot to mention that earlier. I just feel like that kind of helps sometimes. We're talking about the summertime, (laughs) but thank you so much for your time. I think that a lot of people will benefit from this conversation.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.